Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week we are beginning a new series called Pause, and our adult discipleship pastor, Mark Taylor, is opening up this series with a message on Psalm 23. You can find additional resources and our message archives on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. God is lifted high, which is what enables us to say and seek out, let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in a parched land where there is no water. Your unfailing love is better than life. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. Some beautiful words from the psalmist. Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And oftentimes, what our souls really need is not a whole bunch more information, not even answers, definitely not always more things to go do, but oftentimes what our souls need is space, simply time to be quiet, to reflect some stillness. As you look through the scriptures, there are some extraordinary encounters with God. Think of Moses when he comes upon the burning bush and he realizes that this place is holy. It's not been anything like he's known before, and so he takes off his sandals and he falls on his feet. I think of Isaiah when the angel of the Lord touched his mouth with that piece of coal, he was literally undone. And throughout history, certainly there have been moments where we get a greater glimpse and appear in a window, a greater glimpse of who God is, who we are, and really how desperately we need Him. And so we're going to pause This is a four-week series where we're going to walk through some psalms, and our hope is that for all of us, this would be a time to renew and refocus and remember and refuel. I know this will be easier for some of us who are used to reflecting and maybe we're a little more introverted or contemplative. But even for those of you who were designed and you thrive at moving, and all of us should be moving in some ways, but for those of you who even thrive at moving, and this will be even more difficult for you to take a pause, you might also consider the benefit of pushing the pause button. If you've ever spent a time with a personal trainer or a track coach or anyone like that, they'll tell you that the rests in between the sets or in between the sprints are just as important as the weightlifting or the running itself. In fact, all through the Psalms, there's this word maybe you've seen or heard, it's Selah, 
Some of you have named your children after that word, Selah, and we're not totally sure exactly what that means. Uh, It's possible that the musicians had that in there to take a breath before the next set of verses. It's possible that it's um, maybe an interlude between one musical section and another musical section. We're not sure exactly what it is, but what we do know is it's a bridge between one thing and the next. And so hopefully this pause will be a nice bridge to strengthen us as we move from one thing to the next, especially as we enter into the holiday season. One of the things I'm learning in my own life and also learning as I spend time with people in ministry over the last uh, 20 years is that we we are not really kind to our hearts. We don't take care of our hearts really well. We live at a pace that is oftentimes insane and mind-numbing. The demands we put on ourselves, even many of the ways we neglect just caring for our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says it's out of the heart that your entire life flows, the centrality of our heart. And so... As we begin this series, we're just going to pause for a moment and open up our hearts, not bring all of our questions to God and not really even look for answers or direction. We're just going to sit and say, God, I'm here, and if, and if you're here, I invite you to come meet me. Let's pause for a moment. God, we do pause and we open up our hands and our hearts, acknowledging our need for something greater than ourselves, and we believe that's you, and we want to be even more sure in our hearts that you've come for us. And so we pause and we invite you in God, we pray that you would put thoughts in our minds and speak into our hearts in ways that only you can do. We're not sure how you do it, God, but you know each of our needs here in this room and what we're going through, and you hold it all together, and so we pray that you would send your spirit in a new and beautiful and fresh way that we may know you. We pray you'd speak, amen and amen. Well, we're gonna take a a closer look at Psalm 23 today. Psalm 23 is likely one of the most familiar of all the Psalms and possibly one of the most familiar passages in all of scripture. Psalm 23 is usually read at funerals which is a little bit of a shame, not that it's read at funerals, but because it's usually read on behalf of someone else and we're hearing it for someone else. And for many of us, we haven't stopped and really spent time hearing the words of Psalm 23 for ourselves. And so that's what we're going to do today is really hear this for ourselves. Psalm 23 verse 1 begins this way, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I've already got two problems with this psalm. I, I don't own any sheep, and so this whole idea of shepherd is going to require some imagination. 
But secondly, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I don't always feel like that. I don't know about you. I don't always feel like I have all that I need. In fact, oftentimes I look at my resources and I think I don't have what I need. I look at my time and I think I don't have all that I need. Oftentimes I feel like I don't have what I need to be the husband that God's designed me to be. I don't have what I need to be the dad that God's called me to be. I don't know about you, but what does it mean then that David said, how did he get to the place? And what did he mean? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. What, what does it mean that God is our shepherd? And how, we, how can we get to that place where we experience that? Well, as a good shepherd, first of all, the Lord offers us rest. Verse 2 says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. This idea of rest, picture kind of sprawling out. I don't know if you've ever had a hard day before, but oftentimes when I've had a lot of projects and a lot of conversations and even some conflict resolution and a long day, I, I come home and I just sprawl out on our plush rug in the family room and just kind of crash. Maybe you've felt like that before. I remember when my sister and her husband led me to Christ over the phone almost 28 years ago now. I can still remember holding onto the phone, just laying out on the floor in my apartment. I can still picture what the carpet looks like because I was so close to it, just laid out. Have you ever been there before where you were at the end of yourself? But this kind of resting, this kind of sprawling isn't necessarily in desperation because he says green meadows. And so when you see that, he, he lets me rest in green meadows. This is a lush growing environment, very satisfying, flourishing. Think of, just imagine this beautiful grass field. And the peaceful streams are literally waters of rest. I love the sound of soft running water. That's one of my favorite things. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that teaches us to want everything, to never be satisfied with what we have. More, 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 bigger, the latest, the better, the newest. And for many of us, we have simply lost the ability to rest, to be still, just to be present. Interesting, when we think of the Ten Commandments, oftentimes we think these Ten Commandments are the highest level of virtue, the highest level of spirituality, like these things that we'll never attain to. But in reality, when God gave the Ten Commandments to His people to help them organize and govern and a path for them to follow as they move forward into the Promised Land, these were actually the lowest level of what it means to be human. Like, let's not kill each other. Let's not take each other's stuff. How about when I get home, my wife can still be my wife and your wife can still be your wife? How about that? 
And if you read through uh, Exodus 20 or the, the Ten Commandments are given in, again in Deuteronomy 5 uh, as a reminder as they're going into the promised land, but in Exodus 20, we read these words, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. If I were to write 10 rules or commandments or the top 10 things that a nation would need to move forward, I'm not sure I would include the Sabbath in the top 10, but it made the top 10 list for God. He knew that we were going to need a, a rhythm of rest in our day, a rhythm of rest in our week, a rhythm of rest in our life as a as he calls us into a greater eternal rest, this idea of rest. He goes on in Exodus 33, 14, and he says, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, come to me, and I will give you rest. The translation that we read says that he lets me rest. Some translations say he makes me rest, but the idea is that he compels me to rest. Because of who he is, I'm compelled to go find rest there. If you can imagine like a young child out in the road in an oncoming car, you would be compelled, hopefully, to go grab that child and save it, that idea of being compelled. And you can know you're coming to know God for who he really is because you're compelled more and more to run to him more and more often. That's this idea of he makes me. Like, I just can't help myself. I know that's where rest is. I've got to go there. And so some questions for us to wrestle with. When and where in the rhythm of your day, are you seeking God for rest? We were not made to be constantly on, constantly connected, constantly performing, doing, constantly in fifth gear. Sometimes this rest for me simply looks like 60 seconds in the parking lot before I go in to the office and I just pause and breathe. And sometimes all it takes is 60 seconds. Sometimes I need to carve out a little bit more time and just find rest and put away the projects and let the kids be what they're, do what they're doing, and just find a little bit more rest. Sometimes I need even longer rest, and so weekend retreats periodically are good. Where and when, in the rhythm of your day or in the rhythm of your life, are you finding rest? Another question is, what, when was the last time you felt genuinely refreshed? When troubles arise, and they will, to whom or to what are you most likely to run? This idea of the green meadows and the peaceful streams, in one sense, it's a metaphor, and we can just sit here and picture the, the meadow, and we can almost hear the peaceful streams. But 
It's really only been in the last 40 or 50 years that we've been able to live entirely indoors. Many of the jobs that are out there are indoors more than they used to be. We have heat, we have air conditioning, everything's inside. But there's something about the outdoors that I don't want to overlook here. We were created outside. We were created in the wilderness. We were created out there. So even a walk in the park or a walk outside the building, there's something so replenishing and refreshing in the soul that happens when we're around sunlight. In fact, we've got a great hiking ministry here and a mountain biking ministry here. There are ways to get connected and go. We are close to the mountains, close to the beach. Let's find some rest for our souls. As a good shepherd, God offers us rest. Number two, he offers us strength. Verse 3 says, he renews my strength, and literally that's restores my soul. He provides a strength from within. Who here as a parent wouldn't love some inner strength to be able to handle and navigate the teenage years? How about as a teacher, wouldn't you love to have some inner strength to be able to handle the needs of the kids in your classroom? How about as a caregiver of those with special needs or maybe the elderly? Wouldn't you love to have some inner strength to be able to handle the situations around you? How about for young people here? Wouldn't you love to have the inner strength to be able to take the steps that you know you need to take as you begin paving your career and your life and your relationships? He goes on by saying, he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. These right paths, you can think about a dirt road that's been packed down by Jeeps and vans going across it, or maybe a a trail that's packed down, worn down by all the travel. These right paths, when we take those right paths, it not only brings honor to his name, but there's something in us that strengthens The truth of the matter is, we don't like to admit this, but there is a direct correlation between the decisions that we make and the drive or the strength or the motivation that we have to move forward. Let me say that again. There's a direct correlation between the decisions that we make and the strength that we have. Have you ever made a really good decision, even if you didn't know it at the time, but you just felt it was right, and maybe you look back and were able to say, yeah, God led me there. Have you ever made a really good decision in a relationship or with a job or a next step in a career or some of you have moved to Greenville and have told me, I knew this was God. I didn't know what he had for me here. I just knew this was the right step. Have you ever made a good decision and all of a sudden things got a little clearer or you had a little more strength to keep going on because somehow you got the ball rolling and sometimes that's all it takes is one simple right decision to get the ball rolling in the right direction. But have you ever made a bad decision And in that decision, things became cloudy, things became weighed down, and you almost didn't have the strength to overcome that decision that you just made. There's a direct correlation, and the reality is that every time we hear his voice, 
and we follow in these right paths that he's describing here, something in us strengthens. Every time we hear his voice and we say, I don't understand that, but I know that's got to be coming from God, and we take that step, there's something that shifts in us and our souls become stronger. Have you ever wondered why God gives us a path to follow, why he says, hey, this is the path for you to walk in. Go in this way, not in this way. It's obvious when we look at other people's lives, we can say, well, that was stupid. You should have gone this way instead of that way. But for us, you ever wonder why he gives us that? God gives us a path to walk in, not because he needs to control us, not because he likes to hear himself talk, not because he's a God who likes to say, I told you so. He gives us his path because his path, his commandments, his direction, his guidance, his instruction is what leads us to a life of freedom. And every time we take a step in the right direction along his path, there's something that renews in us. If you read John chapter 10 sometime this week and look for the verse in there that says that when we follow his voice, he leads us into open pasture. He's not trying to control us. He's trying to give us freedom. Psalm 119.32, one of my favorite places in the scripture because it brings two ideas together that I don't normally put together, says, I run in the path of your commands because you have set my heart free. I often, I don't think usually like that. My kids don't think like that. When I give them a command or a direction or instruction, they think I'm trying to control them. But you know, if you've had kids, you know that the direction you're trying to give them is actually good for them and going to lead them into life later on. Well, that's what God does for us. In fact, John 8, 32, Jesus said, if you obey my commands or if you live in the truth or if you follow the paths that I've given you, then you will know the truth you will see the path. It will become clearer to you, and the truth will set you free. And so some questions for us to wrestle with. Are you coming to know an inner strength that you know can only be coming from God that's carrying you further than you thought you could go? Are the decisions you're making leading you into greater life or have the decisions that you've been making weighing you down and not strengthening you and not helping you move along God's path? God offers us rest. He offers us strength. And as a good shepherd, he also offers us, number three, protection and comfort. Verse 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, have you ever been there? I've been in some dark valleys. Some translations say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's a great translation as well. It's often called the, the, the death shadow or the dark shadow. Think of walking through a steep uh, gully or a gorge or a, a, a narrow ravine where all you can see are the cliffs up by you. That's what this picture is. And as King David wrote this psalm, we're not sure exactly which dark valley he was referring to. He went through all kinds of dark valleys. 
some of the dark valleys that he might be referring to and some of the dark valleys that we find ourselves in are simply the result of living in a broken world. Some of you right now are in a dark valley and it's simply because this world is broken. You can run and do push-ups and eat well and still get cancer or have a heart attack. I just remember, it came, came to mind earlier this morning, hadn't thought about it in a while, but one of the healthiest kids I knew in high school, what, he was just, he, he ran, he was in track, he, he ate well, and I just admired him for that. And one night in his sleep, he had something with his brain and he just left, he just left us. It was really sad, but I was just so surprised and struck and kind of astounded that, wow, what is this? We live in a broken world. Our cells are not how they were designed. Things are broken. All of creation is groaning for reorder. So some of the dark valleys might simply be because of our broken world, but some of the dark valleys that we're in are the result of the people around us, aren't they? And the decisions that they make. Sometimes we end up in these dark valleys because the people closest to us make decisions that are destructive, and we end up in the fray. We end up in the middle of that. You can think of maybe this dark valley that David is talking, King David is talking about, even though I walk through the darkest valley, maybe he's talking about the experience of when King Saul was chasing him. And so it was the, the effect of someone else's decisions that caused him a dark valley or um, maybe even the time when his own son Absalom was, had this great need for power and tried to kill his own dad to take the throne. Oftentimes, and you can think through the dark valleys in your life and the, sh- the shadows that you feel and what's weighed down, and you can think through, is this the result of a broken world or is this the result of someone else's decisions? But another place, unfortunately, where we experience these dark valleys is because of our own decisions. David here, as he says, I walk through the darkest valley, he may be talking to the turmoil that he felt as we read in Psalm 51 over the decision that he made to take Bathsheba as his own when he shouldn't have taken Bathsheba as his own because she was not his own. Several times David made really bad decisions that would lead him to this experience of a dark valley. But no matter what the cause is of the dark valley that we experience. The psalmist, David here, goes on to say, even though I'm in that dark place, and this is a beautiful promise, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. And it struck me, this idea, 1 John 4.18 tells us that God's love, perfect love, drives out fear. And so anytime you're in the dark valley, and you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling stress, worry, anxiety, fear. It's simply a place that God's love has yet to invade. And so it's an opportunity to say, God, come into this place. He goes on to say, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me, even though I'm in this dark valley I find protection and comfort in your rod and your staff, and I didn't know exactly, I could imagine maybe what a rod and a staff were used for, though I, again, have never owned any sheep. And so I called Google, and Google told me a whole bunch of things that sheep use the rod and the staff for. 
They use the, the rod and the staff for correcting the sheep, for redirecting them. Use them as weapons to protect and defend from wolves and lions and bears. Oh, my. The, they use the, the rod and the staff for getting branches and rocks out of the way and counting the sheep to make sure they're all there. Sometimes even they will use the, the rod or the staff, whatever is going to work better in that moment, to pull back some of the wool on the sheep to check out a wound that it may have. And oftentimes they'll use the hook on the staff to pull back and bring back in a wandering sheep. However, the shepherd uses the rod and the staff, ultimately it says for protection and comfort. Some questions for us to think about. When, when you experience fear, a challenge, things coming at you, a dark valley, rather than running from it or trying to medicate or cope or try to fix it, will you pause and say, God, I need you as shepherd to come in and protect me and help me along the right paths, help me know which decision to make to lead me away from danger. Maybe some of you here today are experiencing a wound from something that you've done, something that someone's done to you, or simply because of the broken world we live in, and you're like a sheep who's been wounded, and you're feeling that, will you come to the great shepherd who wants to protect and comfort and heal? So we might ask, how is God using his rod and his staff in your life these days? In in other words, or to be a little clearer, in what area of your life is he offering you his comfort? What guidance is he giving you that if you listen, it will protect you from danger and lead you in what the Psalms call the way everlasting? Because as the good shepherd, God offers us rest and strength, protection, comfort. And four, he offers us a feast. Verse five, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Literally, you prepare a table. So this, you prepare a feast for me. You prepare a table. In the scriptures, there's all different kinds of tables that represent different things. But in this context, the table is a full table. Think of a Thanksgiving spread. This is probably one of the toughest things in this passage for me because it's one thing to have the strength to make it through and get to the end of the day. But God wants me to have a feast in the midst of all the challenges coming at me. God wants me to know a deep sense of joy in the midst of the arrows that are flying my way. That is the invitation for us. Thank thank God that one day there is a great feast. In the Revelation, it's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we're invited to this feast where during that feast, it will be the greatest celebration 
where there will be no more tears and no more pain, no more sorrow, no more dark valleys, no more bad decisions. In fact, John tells us this in Revelation 19. He says, Then I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. It was so beautiful, so strong, so loud, so astounding. He didn't even know how to describe it. It's like this, it's like that. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb that we are invited to, and his bride has prepared herself. But that's not what Psalm 23 is talking about. Psalm 23 says there's a feast even now that God invites us to experience in the midst of our enemies. In fact, if you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, when the younger son comes to his senses and he comes running home and his father embraces him and holds him in, what does his father say? We must celebrate with a feast. Some questions for us to think through. What would it look like to be full of greater joy in your everyday life? What would it look like to be able to say, my cup is overflowing even though parts of my life are falling apart around me? Nehemiah chapter 8 tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the reality is if we don't come to know this feast, this idea of joy in the Lord, we will not have the strength to do what God calls us to do. Really, the book of Philippians is all about having joy in the midst of persecution, having joy in the midst of this broken world. As a good shepherd, God offers to us rest and strength and protection and comfort, and he invites us to a feast today. Number five, he also offers us his forever commitment. This is probably my favorite one of the five, his forever commitment, which I tried to make one word, forever commitment, but the editors here said, no, that's two words, two words. I tried to, okay, how about a hyphen, forever commitment? It's really one thing. It's his forever commitment. Verse 6 says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. There is not a day that his love is not pursuing you and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That translation that his unfailing love will pursue me is perfect. It's the idea of to be put in flight or to run after, to chase. Maybe you're familiar with the song we sing here from time to time, or the, it's on the radio a, a bit, the reckless love song. The, the lyrics from that come from another parable in Luke chapter 15, but you'll recognize these lyrics probably. It says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. God offers us a forever commitment to pursue us and to pursue us and to pursue us with his love. Moses writes this in Deuteronomy 7. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. 
he is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love, and this is where it gets a little sticky, on those who love him and obey his commands. You notice a problem there? We've not all obeyed his commands. This is where Jesus comes in. See, God is so faithful in his commitment to us that he not only fulfilled his side of the covenant, he also came over on our side of the covenant and fulfilled ours. That's the gospel invitation, is that we can't be righteous enough to earn his lavish love, but that's his forever commitment to us. Have you ever been in contract with someone where you agreed to certain terms about maybe fixing a house or buying a car where each party had to come through with something and how frustrating and sometimes even life-changing it is when both parties don't come through, you're in lawsuits, that sort of thing? Well, the main difference between a contract and a covenant is that a contract, two people write together and kind of go in side by side. A covenant says it's a similar kind of both parties are involved in it, but God really writes it and says this is how it's going to be. That's the main difference between it. But there's still two parts, and the two parties still have to come together, God and his covenant with us. But let me say it again. God is so faithful. His forever love for us not only fulfilled his side of the covenant, but again, he came on our side and fulfilled our side. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It kind of captures this idea. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, to fulfill our side of the covenant so that we could be made right with God through Christ, so that because of what Christ did, we now are in a place to receive his lavishing and unfailing love. So don't miss this. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, the shepherd is calling you home. Let's notice just a couple of things about this psalm. First of all, you should see Psalm 23 as God's personal invitation to you this week to come to know him as shepherd. He wants to offer you individually, personally, these things. But there's also a couple of hints of community in there. Like when he says, you prepare a table before me. We come and join at the table together. And he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We dwell in the house of the Lord together. And so there's a couple of hints of community. If you can think of a group of sheep, which depending on its size is either a flock or a herd or a band or a mob. That's just some side trivia for those of you who are curious on what to call a group of sheep. But if you can picture a group of sheep kind of wandering the wrong way and you've got a shepherd over here calling out to its sheep, and just imagine one of the sheep starting to move toward the shepherd. And his buddy, who's real close behind, starts to follow along toward the shepherd. And one by one, pretty soon the entire flock is moving toward the shepherd. The invitation to us is individually, what would it look like for you to move, to hear God's voice and move toward the shepherd this week? 
such that the person next to you, people in row by row, friend group by friend group, in your neighborhoods, in your families, in Malden, in Simpsonville, in Anderson, wherever you go, this becomes a place where people are hearing the voice of God and being renewed with rest and strength and protection and comfort and healing and joy. Notice also what's offered to us in this. I I read, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, and I quickly look at my checkbook or I look at this. I look at things on the outside, but what God wants to offer us, notice all of these things, what he wants to offer us is stuff on the inside. He wants to strengthen us so that we have him within us so that we can deal with what's going on around us. In fact, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I, I have all that I need because what I most need is him as my shepherd, which is why the central purpose and vision and mission of Brookwood Church is for us to be a people who pursue a relationship with Jesus because he alone can meet the deepest longings of our souls and he longs to renew us with these things. Our memory verse this week, which is in your discussion guide and it's also available, it'll come across your phone if you have the Brookwood Church app. Our memory verse this week is Isaiah 40, 31, which captures some of the essence of Psalm 23. It says, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. I would love that to be true of me. They will walk and not become weary. I just want to give you one kind of final thought here. There is an inseparable link between truth and trust. In other words, if someone tells you something, your likelihood to believe that has to do with how much you trust them. And so when my wife says something to me, I've come to trust her over the years, and so I know what she says is true. And maybe you're here today, and you're, you've been having a difficult time trusting God because you've never known anyone around you to be trustworthy because they let you down here and they let you down there. There is one who is trustworthy. And the beautiful news is that even if you don't belong to God, even if you're not sure you can trust him, he still calls out to you. And so if you're here today and you hear his voice and you say, yes, I want to come to know you as shepherd, he longs to come in and renew you from the inside out and guide you along paths that lead to freedom. We're going to close with just a moment of reflection. This is a time to pause. It's a time for you to take whatever thoughts, whatever burdens, whatever is right in here and just take it to God and say, God, come into this. Let's pray. God, we once again acknowledge your presence here with us. We long to know the things that you offer in greater measure. 
And we pray that you'd meet us here in these moments. God, we bring to you all of our thoughts, all of our burdens, all of our cares, all of our worries, the decisions in front of us, the decisions we've already made. God, we bring our whole lives to you. God, we pray you'd help us know you as shepherd greater this week than ever before. We pray that you would renew us from the inside out. In Christ's name, amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.